In the name of the true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This week I came across a letter from the abbot of the Benedictine Monastery of Christ in the Desert in northwestern New Mexico. Anybody been there? Tom has. Amazing. A couple of people. I want to go. It looks amazing. The letter that I saw was on a website, as, as they are sometimes these days. And as its name suggests, uh, they're in the desert. The monks live 13 miles down a dirt and gravel road off US Route 84. And the abbot writes to all prospective visitors. So perhaps he was writing to me. I extend a most warm, encouraging, and welcoming invitation for all persons to visit us. As a community of Benedictine monks, we follow St. Benedict's rule, which asks us to treat each guest and each visitor as Christ would be treated. It is therefore our special privilege to have all people of whatever faith or belief, ethnic or cultural background, to come to our beautiful canyon and find a place of silence, solitude, and peace as the guests of the Monastery of Christ in the desert to treat each guest and visitor as Christ would be treated. This beautiful Benedictine practice is born out of our gospel reading today. And it reminded me uh, of a story told by Patrick Lee Fermer. Patrick Lee Fermer was a prose writer of the 20th century, I think the best prose writer of the 20th century, Patrick Lee Fermer. If you've not read him, uh, perhaps you'll start with this book that I'm going to talk about uh, called A Time to Keep Silence. Patrick records his visits to three monasteries, and it was at the Abbey of St. Wandrille de Fontanelle that he remembers walking the grounds with one of the monks. And Patrick was a young writer hanging out with the artists and his pals in Paris, you know, not usually getting to bed uh, before 2 or 3 a.m., you know, libations, good times. So he, when he leaves to go to this monastery, he went because his friend said, it's the most gorgeous monastery and it's really cheap. So Patrick was going off for a bit of a, a cheap uh, stay and to see this beautiful place. But he's walking the grounds with one of the monks. He's been met with the kind of gracious hospitality that a Benedictine monastery is admonished to greet a visitor with. And he keeps thinking, when on this walk or in my time here, it all seems a bit too gracious. You know, the meals are there, the bed is, you know, made simple, crucifix on the wall, simple twin bed, but everything's just so. When are they gonna drop the hammer and sort of say, Repent and believe in the Lord, <laughs> you know, change your ways, Patrick Lee Fermer. But it never drops. The hammer just never drops. Now, these monks have a disciplined way of life. You know this. They start at 4 a.m. in the morning with their prayers, their work, their study, all of it. So deeply committed to staying close to Jesus, making his spirit come alive in their spirit, praying for the cares and concerns of the world. And, and doing their work, you know, mindfully and in the presence of God, but the hospitality offered to those coming to the place, to this monastery, it just has no strings attached. It's just a welcome, 
hospitality as if each guest was Christ himself. When I was in seminary at Emory in Atlanta, Emory University, I worked the summer months uh, one year at Church of the Common Ground. It's a mission and worshiping community of the Diocese of Atlanta. And when I was there, we had a storefront property near some of the city's public parks. And around the public parks were a lot of the homeless of Atlanta. So it was strategic to have this storefront property uh, as meant to be a church just there. And it's described as providing support for the pastoral and spiritual needs of women, men, and youth who live on the margins of our city. We welcome people of all faith backgrounds and those who seek a new connection to a life of faith. Common Ground aims to be faithful, a faithful, consistent presence and a witness to Christ's love for all people. We work to share the good news with the unhoused, the urban poor, and the underserved people that they are God's beloved. We offer comfort and relationship through pastoral, social, healthcare connections, and referrals. Mary Wetzel, Mother Mary Wetzel was the priest when I was there, and the church had programming each day, and it still does. It's no longer in the storefront property, uh, it's still the church, though, a church without walls uh, and a powerful presence in the streets of Atlanta. And there's programming every day. Foot clinics, uh, morning prayer. We actually started morning prayer when I was there. And I would call around to the priests of the diocese, my friends, and say, our morning prayer attendance was the best in the diocese. How many people did you have this morning? Three. I'm like, well, we had 34. Um, and, and that involved you know, real work of going around the streets, people that you knew and were in relationship with and saying, Gail, time to get up. Uh, it's time for morning prayer. Time for a cup of coffee and a donut in morning prayer. And, and we'd carry on. But foot clinic, morning prayer, Sunday Eucharist in the park, uh, a series called Stump the Theologian, where folks could ask any question they, they wish uh, while we shared a sandwich. The grounding spirituality of the place was to be in solidarity, uh, with those on the margins, with the urban poor, and to learn to treat each other and each guest as we would treat Christ. So there's one man uh, that I remember, always will, named William. He turned up to everything that we did, and William carried a lot of pain. He had a temper. He was angry almost all of the time, and I remember him becoming violent at least once. Uh, during those three months that I was, I was present. But there he was, actively engaged. He really liked the Stump the Theologian uh, lunches. He was always at morning prayer, Sunday Eucharist in the park. So this work was challenging and, it's, and inspiring for me. It taught me a great deal about the importance of relationships and the uh, call to serve Christ in, in all people. So fast forward from that summer, four years, and I was with a group of 18 to 24-year-olds who were discerning whether or not to enter into ordained ministry. This is in the Diocese of Atlanta. The bishop at the time had strategically put together a group of discernment, a discernment group for 18 to 24-year-olds, which is, was really wonderful. Uh, six or seven of those people over my years are now priests serving the church faithfully and well. So we were meant, uh, I, I was meant to go downtown with 10, let's say 10 
uh, teenager, late teenagers, early 20s. And we were going to go to the park. We had packed lunches. And we were going to distribute the lunches, uh, meet people where they were, no strings attached, be a listening ear. And if they desired, you know, to, we could pray together. And, and the folks were sent off in pairs of two just to kind of learn how to deal, you know, sit in the uh, place of being kind of uncomfortable and out of your normal place of being, not to solve anything, just to be present. So there we go. And we were going to celebrate a Eucharist at a large uh, shelter downtown. So we, we went to the park, we're making our way, and I see someone walking quickly towards us. So I know I'm kind of like aware what's, what's going on here. The person's running even a little bit. And I recognize that it's William. It's William. So first thought, I thought, well, this could go in any number of directions, you know? It's William. But he had a smile on his face. He had a big bear hug to offer. And in the years since I'd seen him, William was transformed. It was, it was a miracle. Uh, you could see it in his whole, you could see it in his face, radiating with a kind of peace and a light and joy that I'd never seen in William's face before. So he told his story to me and to the 10 young folks that I was with about the unconditional love that was offered him from Church of the Common Ground, how he learned things about God that he never had heard before. So new images of God, new understandings of who God is came to life for William. He mentioned how he had been offered forgiveness and healing and redemption. And it's important to point out that we also offered him those social services and mental health care that he needed. So at that point, he was living in an apartment. He had a job, uh, but he remained a member of the Church of the Common Ground and offered his gifts as a leader. So friends, I'm going to be honest. If there was one person who I thought wouldn't change, maybe couldn't change, it was William. And there he stood before me radiating love and generosity and peace. So here's the deal. The community in the desert of New Mexico, the monastery in Fontanelle, the Church of the Common Ground on the streets of Atlanta are places deeply committed to worship and to prayer. They're places devoted to Jesus Christ, and they're clear in that spiritual identity. And it's from that clear spiritual vision that these places strive to treat their guests as Christ would be treated. So in our life, our life together, here at St. James Church, I think it's fair to say that we are clear that Jesus Christ is the center of it all. He binds us together. His love is changing us day by day as we participate in this Eucharist, as we gather around scripture, as we break bread and say the prayers. He's changing us day by day. And by his grace, let our prayer be that we will be known as a place and as a people who treat each other and any guest we meet 
as we would treat Christ himself. Even a small gesture, a cup of cold water to a thirsty guest, meals shared on Tuesdays and Fridays can work miracles, can change lives, even ours. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.